I said, those people are my heroes. Uh, and I hope they're yours too. And, and I just want to, it's interesting, you know, this is a professionally made video by an organization, Open Doors. Uh, used to be Brother Andrew was part of that ministry. And, and I like at the very end, what can you do? And they say, you know, we don't really want your money. You can give your money to those organizations. That'd be fine. I'm sure they would take it. <clears throat> but what they really want is for you to pray for them. And let me just give you, you know, you're probably sitting there, what can I do? And, and every year, I, I, I always wrestle with that. What can I do? And what they want you to do is pray. So let me give you a website here. It's uh, International Christian Concern. It's persecution.org. Very simple to remember. And then that'll lead you to a whole bunch of other websites, my favorite of which is the Voice of the Martyrs. And that one is very simple, too. It's persecution.com. And they have a monthly, free monthly newsletter they will send you free of charge. It's high quality, excellent newsletter that you can get free of charge from them. Let me encourage you just to, to maybe start there and just go to one of these websites and pray. I want to pray on behalf of all of us here. I just like to pray for our, our brothers and sisters throughout the world that this day can't meet like this under fear of, of, fear of imprisonment or even worse. So let's pray together for our brothers. <clears throat> God, you have chosen some of us to live in other countries where they get the honor of being persecuted. And I know that sounds funny, but it is in fact true that to someone who gets the honor to be persecuted, we'll see that in the book of Acts in a, in a while, how the disciples rejoiced when they were considered worthy to be persecuted. And so, Lord... Uh, our number one prayer is not that the persecution would stop, although we do ask for that. Our number one prayer for them, God, is that you would meet them so richly that the persecution is just second nature. God, would you meet them in the midst of this? Jesus, would you show yourself to them? Would you give them courage? Would you make the scriptures, maybe even they can't even have a Bible, but the portions that they do have, would you make that be so rich within them that it would sustain them and satisfy them. Even today, I pray today for people who right now are undergoing imprisonment or separation from their families or even facing execution. I pray for them right now that you grant them peace and you grant them courage and you grant them a desire to know Christ above all. God, we pray someday that we get to meet our brothers and sisters throughout the world who are going through these kinds of struggles. God, I want to I stand on the sidelines and cheer them on. Pray, God, again, that you'd remove, you'd break down walls so that countries that are closed to the message of Christ would be opened. But more than anything, God, like you're doing in China, a country that's closed, the church is just going crazy there. Continue that, God, we pray. Pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. For the last couple of weeks, uh, we have been starting a new series on the book of Acts. The series is called The Church on Fire, uh, Study of the Book of Acts. We will be in the book of Acts, I think, for about a year and a half or, or so. I'm not sure. There's a little joke going around that uh, our sister church, um, um, St. Paul Fellowship, I almost said Bethlehem. They're not our sister. They're our mother church. But the sister church, St. Paul Fellowship over in Frogtown, He's been going through Genesis for a year and a half, and now we're trying to race to see who can finish with a book first. I guess we could use Bethlehem, what he's been going through Romans for, what, about nine years over there, too. So, um, 
But we've been going through the last two weeks, we've really been going through what I would call the preface. We haven't really even gotten into Acts yet. I've put up a couple of verses of Acts to make us feel good that we're in Acts, but we're really not yet. And we're really not going to get there today either. We have to spend one more week in this preface. And then next week, we're going to launch right into the book of Acts. So this week is another week of prefacing. The last couple of weeks, we've been meeting the neighbors. We've been meeting those people who are going to be key in the book of Acts, the disciples, because the, the book of Acts is about the acts of the disciples, acts of the apostles. And so we wanted to meet them. And the first week, we met uh, eight of them. And last week, we met four of them, the Fab Four, as I like to call them. Last week, the primary thing we looked at was how Jesus changes lives. These four guys were transformed. Remember James and John, the sons of thunder? They were called, Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. Because, not because they were like meek and mild, but these were the kind of guys, you know, that you can just see had jackhammers in their hands usually or something. That's how they were probably in their career. And that's how they were interpersonally. You know, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. What's it to you? You know, those are the kind of guys James and John would have been. Jesus nicknames them the sons of thunder. Remember the, 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 where they're going through the, the uh, area of Samaria and the Samaritans aren't very hospitable to them? James and John just turn to Jesus just like this is an everyday thing and say, Hey, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on these guys? These guys were pieces of work. These guys were, were, were rough. And Jesus changes their lives. And if you remember the apostle John is called the Apostle of Love. If you read his five books in the New Testament, the Gospel of John, his three letters, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation, love is just impacted throughout the whole thing. The book of John, he has precious moments where he's with Jesus and he just leans against his, it says against his bosom in the older passages where you can just see this rough, concrete worker he was a fisherman but in our language you know that would be a tough guy and he's just snuggled up to jesus jesus changed his life james gets the privilege he's similar to john in, in character and he gets the privilege of being the first martyr for christ gladly dying for his lord we looked at andrew simon peter's brother andrew's just a behind the scenes kind of guy who just loves to bring people to jesus and then we looked at peter And Peter, man, Peter's going to be the leader. We're going to see the first 12 chapters of the book of Acts really are about Peter's ministry. And you have to watch, how does does Christ make a leader? Peter has some amazing low points. It starts off when when Jesus calls him. And remember the fish come into the net and it's so much, he's, he's, whoa, he can't hardly get it into the boat. And the first words out of Peter's mouth are, get away from me, Lord, for I'm a sinful man. And Jesus looks at him and I can just see a smile on Christ's face saying, come after me and you'll now you'll catch men. Yeah, you're a sinner. You're just the kind of guy I want. Not because you're a sinner, but because you qualify for someone who knows that they need grace. And you need it, Peter. So that's a low point. Then it's a high point because Christ asks him to call. And then you remember he makes a couple of professions where he says, Jesus, you are the Christ. He's the only one who speaks up of the, all the other disciples. He says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. And from that incredible high point where, where Jesus responding to that says to Peter, I tell you the truth, upon this rock, he's talking about Peter, making a plan, words of Peter's name, meaning Petros, meaning petrified, meaning rock. He says, upon this rock, and the statement he's just made, I will build my church. 
Peter's like stoked. That's Matthew 16, and there's three verses later. Three verses later, Jesus is telling him that this Christ, who you've just said that I am, I'm telling you what, I am going to have to suffer and be handed over to the Gentiles, and they're going to crucify me. And Peter, who's at a high point, says, Lord, I will never let that happen. Don't even think that way, Jesus. And Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. Dude, from rock to Satan in three verses. And then Jesus, in the end, right before everything's going to fall apart, he says, Simon, Simon, Peter's given name. Jesus had renamed him Peter. Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat. But I've prayed for you, Simon, that after you fall away, that you'd return. And Peter says, I will never fall away. And we watched him go through an utter failure where he turned his back on Christ. And in Luke, it's recorded that when he, the, when the, he uh, denies him for the third time and the cock crows, meaning morning has come, it says the Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Oh, man, that had to be painful. That moment of eye contact. And then we see in John chapter 21, the restoration of Peter. We watched guys get transformed last week, four of them. And that's what Christ does. Christ transforms lives. We're going to watch that all through the book of Acts. People are getting radically transformed. That's what Christ is in the transformation business. This week, in the first two chapters, first, excuse me, first two verses of the book of Acts, um, Luke is writing and he says, in my former book, Theophilus, by the way, does anyone remember the two names that I've said that if you name your child, you'll get a shiny dime? Theophilus is one of them. The other one was? Very good. Zebedee. Yeah, very good. And I've, no, I've had no takers yet. We've had a lot of pregnancies too, but no takers. <clears throat> in my former book, Theophilus, now if you name somebody, your kid like Zebedee Theophilus, two shiny dimes. <laughs> in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. Told you a couple weeks ago we are going to kind of look at this backwards just as a preface. We're going to first look at the apostles. This week we're going to look at the first part of this where it says, I wrote to you about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. Because the book of Acts is really like a second chronicle to the book of Luke's, Luke, I, I want to... Uh, have you look at with me today. All we're going to do is look at the last chapter of Luke together. It just is a way to kind of get a set up for what actually set this church on fire. Because it is the most important thing. We're going to find out what happens in the end of Luke chapter 24. There's an event that happens and, and the way it unfolds is a way that sets the framework for the spark that will light the fire in Acts. The spark happens in Luke 24. So if you want to follow along on your insert, if you've got really good eyesight, it's 53 verses, so it's really tiny. Um, or you can open a Bible, or you can just follow along on the screen wherever you want to do it. What we're going to do this morning is look at Luke 24. Basically, just read through the passage and just enjoy what's going on. That's all we're really going to do. Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. First thing we're going to do is look at the event that changed the course of history. 
On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, by the way, this is, if you're not familiar with, the, with what's going on here, Jesus has been crucified. He's been laid in a tomb. And his disciples are bummed. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Just stop right there and think about this now. Remember, I've said this many times, I'll say it again. The most important thing you can do with the Bible is read it like it's true. Because it is true. So just picture yourself here. Whenever you read the Bible, especially when you read uh, uh, stories or what people like to call narratives, meaning it's a, a story makes it sound fictional, but a narrative where there's something going on, just kind of smell the air. What's going on? So these women are bummed out. They're going to come and embalm Jesus with these spices. It's been now, he was crucified on Friday in the afternoon. It's now Sunday morning, very early it says. And they come where there's been Roman soldiers and they're not there anymore. And the big stone that's in front of it has been moved. Huh. That's kind of weird. And they go inside and there's no Jesus. Now you'd kind of scratch your head here. It's like, this is weird. This is not where we left him. And dead people don't usually walk out. So something happened. Verse 4, while they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them in their fright. I mean, you get a little freak now, right? This doesn't happen every day. First of all, you're kind of surprised. You're, you're in a tomb. It's relatively dark. Maybe you brought a candle or something, but it's relatively dark. And all of a sudden, woof, on come on the big fluorescent lights. It's Wow, this whole thing's going on. There's these two guys standing there. They're a bit freaked. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But then the men said to them, and I think this is one of those classic lines that I think this angel was waiting thousands of years to say. <laughs> usually they always say, don't be afraid, right? That's usually, whenever they meet an angel, it's don't be afraid. This dude is just so excited to say, so he just lets that, just worry about the fear thing later. I got to say this. Why do you look for the living among the dead? Isn't that a great line? What a smart Alec angel. I mean, where's he supposed to look for them? Where are they supposed to go? Why do you look for the living among the dead? What a classic line. He's not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee? The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again? Then they remembered his words. The, the, the women, having experienced this event, they're done. They get it. They say, Jesus is alive. Now, the disciples are going to be a little slower than these women. It's going to take them, you know, they're fishermen. Huh? And it, it, not going to take them a little bit longer. The women get it. They get it right away. Verse 9 then says, When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and all to all the others. So they were gathered back together, maybe in a home, and, and the, the, the 11 disciples that were left, minus Judas, who'd hanged himself, and other people were there, and they went and told them. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. See? 
They're just like, nah. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, now remember where we left Peter. Peter just got done looking straight at the Lord. That's the last time. And he goes out and he weeps bitterly, it says. Don't rag on Peter too bad. He's the only one who has the guts at this point in time, at least according to to Luke here, to run up and go and run to the tomb. Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves. And he went away, wondering to himself what had happened. No angels. No Jesus at that moment. Peter is getting further refined here. It's like, oh, man, if I could just see him again and tell him, geez, I'm sorry about that thing last night. I wasn't thinking. Or two nights ago. It's not time yet. Peter's getting more refined. Verse 13. Now, that same day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. So this is two. They weren't disciples or the, of the twelve, but they were people probably maybe in that room. They were walking this seven-mile journey from uh, Uh, Jerusalem to Emmaus. They were talking about each other, everything that had happened. Verse 15, as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing. Somehow they didn't recognize him. Was Jesus disguised? Maybe. Maybe he just kept them from... We don't know exactly, but somehow they did not realize that this was the risen Christ. He, being Christ, asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you only a visitor, Jerusalem, and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? By the way, a few weeks ago I told everybody here, I said, you know, we were on a series about uh, letting Christ be a vintage, you know, vintage Christianity and having Christ be authentic to you. And I said, you know, let's, let's go one week as a church and not be sarcastic. And I didn't realize it, but that's something I struggle with more than I thought. Can you imagine telling the risen Christ, what, you adult or something? Don't you know what's going on? What's with this guy? Who bummer. And it had to be recorded in Luke, too. It's like, oh, dude. <laughs> so Jesus, being the classic teacher that he is, says in verse 19, what things? About Jesus of Nazareth, they, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death. And they crucified him. Now listen to the agony in this next sentence. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Man, I was sure that he was the one. But he's not the one. He's dead. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. He said something was going to happen the third day. It hasn't happened. It's over. He wasn't who he said he was. He completely lost hope. You've got to hear the despair in that. The disciples... Not only were they thinking that they had wasted three years of their life to follow Jesus, they knew they were fugitives and that they were next. Then they go on to say, In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. 
They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said. But him they did not see. They, they don't, they're still not believing. They still don't believe that Christ was actually risen. So Jesus goes on, and just picture this walk now. I don't know how many miles are left. Six walks, maybe. Six miles left in this walk. Verse 25 says, He said to them, How foolish you are, and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses, that would be Genesis and Exodus, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Oh, man. I would give anything to be on that walk. That would have been an awesome walk. Can you imagine having him walk you through the scriptures? I got, I got, I got a little list of things that possibly go through. He would open up... To Genesis 3.15, where the, the serpent was promised that his head would be crushed. To Eve, the promise that was given to Abraham, that you'll be a father of many, many nations. The answer was in Christ. There was a lamb that was supposed to be sacrificed in Exodus 12. There's a scapegoat in Leviticus 16 that's supposed to be the one that takes upon the sins of others. There's the brazen serpent in Numbers 21, where if the children of Israel would just stop looking at their own situations, which were these snakes that were biting them, and they'd look up and have faith to look at the bronze snake that was on a, on a pole... Their faith would heal them because they trust in, trust in God that he would heal them. There's a greater prophet in Deuteronomy verse 18. There's a rock that Moses hit in Numbers 22 that represents Christ. In Isaiah 7, he's called Emmanuel, meaning God with us. In Isaiah chapter 9, he's called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty, God. And he says, unto us a child will be born. He's saying, that, that was me. He says in, in Psalm 23, I am the good shepherd. Uh, in Isaiah 40, it talks about this same shepherd. In Isaiah 53, he's the suffering servant who's going to be the one that is going to pay for our sins upon him. All of us like sheep have gone astray. All of us has turned his own way, but upon him, the, uh, the penalty for a sin will land. He's called the branch in Jeremiah 23. He's the ruler from Bethlehem. It even gives his hometown in, in Micah verse five or chapter 5. He's the lowly king in Zechariah, the pierced victim in Zechariah 12. He's the smitten shepherd in Zechariah 13. He's the messenger of the covenant in Malachi 3. And he's the son, S-U-N, of righteousness in Malachi 4. Now, that was nothing. Picture in your mind's eye, Jesus opening up the Bible with you on a six-mile walk, the six miles or so that are left in their walk, as he explains this to you. What a walk. Verse 28, as, as they approached the village to, where, to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further, but they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day, they don't, still don't recognize him. They still think, wow, this guy's got a lot of neat information. <laughs> stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Now, we're not sure why, if it was that act, or if Jesus decides to reveal himself, or what. But when that happens, verse 31 says, Then their eyes were opened. 
And they recognized him. And he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, one of my favorite verses in all the book of Luke, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Man, that would have been a great walk. This is the Christ. He is alive. So they decide to go back and tell the others, tell the, tell the 11 disciples in verse 33, they got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Back the other way. They just came from there. Got to go back seven. Maybe he'll be back. That'd be great. Nope, doesn't see him. Just goes back seven miles back. There they found the 11 and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true. This is the, the 11 are saying to them, it is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Now, that's often repeated in the Gospels and even the Apostle Paul, when he writes about the resurrection of Christ, talks about this appearance to Peter, but it's private. All we get is two words, to Simon. That's all we know that happened. Somehow Jesus appeared to Simon in this particular instance alone. The instance he appears or shows himself later where he reconciles, that's another instance in John chapter uh, 28, 21. End of John. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, now the eleven haven't bought it yet, totally. Jesus himself stood among them and said, Peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. Now, how's Jesus supposed to come back? As a ghost? No. As, as a risen Savior. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they did still not believe it because of joy and, and, because of joy and amazement, he asked them, Do you have anything to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. Now, I don't know. For me, the hands and thing, feet thing works. But for somehow for them, the food thing worked. Maybe in the culture, you know, it's, oh, ghosts don't eat. So, or if, we, if they did, you know, we could see it going down or something. Be like right here. It works for them. It, it, for me, the hands and, man, I see the hands and feet of G, it works. But for them, it wasn't until that moment. Now, Process this for a second. Process this just with me for a second. You're one of the 11. You've been around him for three years. You've just went through a very traumatic event where you denied your Lord either by Peter denying him outright or the others just didn't even have the courage to do that. They just split. Then they come back together and they kind of cower. They're cowering in this room and kind of hanging out together. This, 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 uh, these two guys come and testify Jesus is alive. Peter has a private vision uh, uh, screening with the risen Lord and they still don't buy it. They're still not on board. Now, if I were Jesus, I'd be a little ticked by now. That's enough. That is enough. You will believe it and you will believe it now. That's how I deal with my kids sometimes. That's not what he does. Look at the heart of Jesus. Look at my hands and feet. Look at them. Let's him touch him. He says, if that doesn't work, let's do the food thing just to make sure that works for you. He gives them 
where they're at. Just let me back off full point of application. If you're there this morning, if you're at a point where you're wondering who Christ is, and you're, you're, you're questioning, Jesus wants to show himself to you more than you want to know him. He wants to show you himself. Ask him to show him you. And he will answer your honest questions. These guys had honest questions. I think at this point in the story, pretty frustrating honest questions, but Jesus deals with them. If that's where you're at, that's great. Open your heart up and let him meet you. Then Jesus does the same thing he did to the guys on the road to Emmaus. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. That one verse was probably the equivalent talk he'd given on six-mile walk from the road to Emmaus. He told them, this is what was written, that Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance and forgivenesses of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. You guys are going to have a job to do. You guys are going to have a job to do. Look at verse 50. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and he blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Now, when we read, when we finally get into Acts chapter one next week, we're gonna uh, this this whole thing gets a little bit more clear. Luke goes into a bigger job of explaining what happens here. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple praising God. You see what they do? They go from fear and cowering to worship where. We're talking Grand Central, a place to get your head cut off. Right at the temple. That's where they go back and worship. And they wait. What do they wait for? Come next week and find out. <laughs> That's the preface of the book of Acts. That's the event that is the spark that set the church on fire from its Little little house there with 11 disciples and everyone else who was part of the movement. And it spread worldwide. And it continues to spread this day. The risen Christ is the spark that lit the world on fire. Let me ask you a question this morning. Is it the spark that's lighting you on fire? Do you, do you bask in the risen Christ and knowing Him personally and spending time with Him in letting him open your mind to the scriptures so that just like those guys were on that walk, it burns within you. It's like you're hyperventilating just because God is teaching you so many things. I don't care if you're not an emotional person. Uh, be a Swede. Swedes are great. I'm mostly Swedish. Uh, it's fine. I don't mean this. It's not necessarily an emotional thing. But it's something that guides you and something that comes from the inside and says, Lord, I want to follow you. You have those, that same passion that these 11 and their followers had for the risen Christ. If not, my encouragement to you is to reread this story and reread it 
and reread it until it becomes to you that's what it's about. That's what my faith is about. That's the passion of my life is the risen Christ and me knowing him. So Paul said, more than anything else, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. Let's pray together as we close. Jesus, we look so forward to getting to know you better through life circumstances, through this series we're going to now embark on in the book of Acts by watching you do amazing things. God, I pray that you would draw us into a personal relationship with with you that would, would boggle our minds. Lord, if we're at a point in our journey this morning where we're just here and we're wondering, who is this Jesus? What's the Bible all about? God, I pray that you would answer those honest questions. I know if this is a typical Sunday, there are many people here asking that very question. Who is this Jesus? Lord, you love to answer those honest questions. And Lord, I pray for the people in this room who are asking that question that they would ask it honestly, not cynically, not sarcastically, but honestly. God, I pray for those of us who are right on the fence and deciding whether or not they want to be a follower of you. I pray that even this morning, just looking at the risen Christ and how awesome he is and how he can open up hearts and open up minds to see things, I pray that even now, this might be the day, November, November 9, 2003, the day that we say, yes, Lord, I want to be a follower of you. Come into my life. Change me. Forgive me of my sin. I want to be a follower of you all the rest of my days. And Lord, for those of us who have been following you for, for a while, I pray that the risen Christ would burn in our hearts, that we just leave sin mar- singe marks everywhere we walk because you're radiating through us so much. Do that now, even as we close in worship. Come and, and, and radiate through us. We pray in Christ's name.